Welcome to Discovering You, a podcast that explores the intricacies of personality and how it impacts the way we navigate through life. What will you discover today? Hi, listeners. Hi, Heather. Hello. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. How are you feeling today? I am feeling, funnily enough, good. (laughs) That is what my app tells me. I am feeling good. It is feeling positive, like things are just fine. Okay. Isn't it interesting, like the definitions that it gives you for the word? I find more often than not, it's not what I would have said if I had to articulate it. Yeah. This is the first week I think that I have had low energy when we record because I am usually in the yellow and today I'm in the green. Still pleasant, but I'm tired. That's because you stayed up too late last night watching a movie. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. It was worth it. Oh, well, that's okay then. How are you feeling? So what I got was eager. And to my point of not necessarily coming up with this definition myself, it it states it as impatiently wanting to do or get something. I don't know about you, but don't you think of impatient almost as like a negative word? A negative, yeah. But yet eager, do you think of it as a positive word? I do. Yeah, me too. I don't know that that is like a societal norm. I think that's partly us. Oh, (laughs) okay. Like now you hear so much about being grounded and being mindful. And so eager seems opposite to that. Okay. I guess I think of eager as sort of like earnest. Excited. Earnest and fun of, yeah, like full of, okay, we're going to do this. So that's interesting. But you know what? It's actually, I think it's not wrong because I am feeling like I have a lot of stuff I have to get done. We were just chatting about all the stuff that has to get done for the holidays. So I could see that part checking out. Yeah, I was surprised when I clicked on good because I was like, I don't know how I feel. I don't feel bad. So then my mind went, well, if I don't feel bad, I'm good. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I could have picked tired. But (laughs) tired is low energy, unpleasant. And I'm not not unpleasant. Exactly. That makes sense. I am eager because today we have a special episode, (laughs) the best of 2023. But before we get to that, award season is right around the corner. So may I present to you DISC according to Emmy-nominated shows. High D is succession. The characters are direct, driven, and seek to dominate. High I is the White Lotus. It's full of travel, romance, suspense, all the feels. High S is Ted Lasso. It displays coaching, mentoring, supporting of others. And high C is the crown, exemplifying order, protocol, compliance. I don't watch any of those shows. Oh, my goodness. Heather, you've got to watch Am I missing out? You are. I was trying to look to see if there's one I recommend over the others. I don't know. They're all great. I have some holidays coming up. so I'm going to maybe try some. Well, there you go. I've assigned you homework before and I'm assigning it to you again. (laughs) (laughs) Watch some of these shows. Okay, speaking of that, do you have a favorite moment or episode from this past year as we're looking back? I have two. My favorite episode was the Exploring Empathy Hmm. episode for lots of reasons, but mostly because I felt like I didn't have empathy, Mm -hmm. like that I wasn't great at putting myself in other people's shoes. Okay. 
it gave me lots of insight to be more curious about people's behavior and to be honest, less judgmental. Okay. From a like growth perspective, <laughs> that was the most insightful episode for me. Great. However, the highly sensitive person episode. Yeah. I think of it often while I'm watching Netflix because I have like that physical response to people fighting or getting in fights. I think of the episode every time because I'm like, oh, I must be a sensitive person because it literally doesn't matter what the show is. Every time there's violence, I have to shut down. Well, that totally ties into mine and our listeners. So if we're looking just at the listener stats, the most popular episode of last year was episode 15, The Highly Sensitive Person. If you're new to the podcast or you missed this one, here's a little snapshot of what it's about. Before I give you a full explanation, I'm wondering if your initial perception or reaction to the word sensitive was the same as mine. Personally, I was confusing sensitivity with emotionality. How about you, Heather? Well, I got to thinking about it. And from my own perspective, I wasn't confusing it the same way, but I was confusing it. Yeah, I think I was called sensitive in the past and I kind of felt like I rejected it because I was definitely thinking emotionality. And then I would think about, let's say, you know, some of my friends and even colleagues. And I'm thinking like, I've seen them crying lots of times and I rarely <laughs> cry or don't cry in public. So I was always confused by it. But this is what is so fascinating about this. I was on the wrong track. Being sensitive is often defined or at the very least associated with being emotional, and that is simply not the case. You may hear someone say, don't be so sensitive if a person is reacting emotionally in a situation, but this is not what the essence of sensitivity is about. At the core, what it is is a reaction to stimulation. If this sounds familiar, it's because I touched on it briefly in episode four, Reframing Introversion. Elaine Aaron says that HSPs are very high in a trait called Sensory Processing Sensitivity, or SPS. Bear with me, there are a lot of acronyms in this episode. What does that mean? People with high levels of SPS have a stronger reactivity to things like light, noise, pain, hunger, and report being more upset by violence, tension, and feelings of being overwhelmed. Why does this happen? It comes down to differences in arousability. HSPs will often notice subtle sounds, sights, physical sensations that go completely unobserved by others. Aaron notes that the difference seems to be in a more careful processing of information in the brain, which causes more time to be spent on reflecting. Because of the extra effort going into this processing and analyzing, what is moderately stimulating for most people becomes highly stimulating for HSPs. Are being an HSP and an empath the same thing? Yeah, so I was very curious about that too. And when I was, honestly, it sort of depends on which body of work you're looking at. There does seem to be a bit of debate. But the general thinking is that empaths have all the traits of an HSP, but they take the experience just a little bit further. They sense subtle energies from people and environments. And they experience it in extremely deep ways. It seems that an empath would definitely be an HSP, but not necessarily the other way around. At the end of this episode, 
I shared a story about the strangest disc profile question that was asked at one of my sessions. I had this question, it threw me for a loop because I was standing there and I just thought, okay, this has to be a listener question. I was very surprised by it. And let me, please let me clarify first that it was asked in the spirit of fun and silliness. There was a lot of laughing going on in the room at that time. So I do want to clarify that and I am going to be answering it in that same spirit. I think the person asking the question was expecting a single disc factor as the answer, but I saw the question as having two parts. So yeah, even though this was trivial, I was full on analytical in my response, which is very typical for me. (laughs) Part one, in my eyes, is which disc factor is most likely to commit a crime? I don't think the answer is necessarily the same for who gets away with it. In this case, I'm imagining a crime of passion. So most likely, again, this is in jest, I say high D. They are passionate, they take risks, and they are quick to react. For part two, who's most likely to get away with it? Heather, do you have a guess? I do have a guess. I think it's high C because I think they're calculating and competent and careful. Ooh, you had all the alliteration (laughs) of the C's there. Yes, you're right. I think it's high C's. If they were to commit a crime, which is more than likely because they are rule followers, but they would be very careful about planning out the details and ensuring that no traces of evidence would be left behind. That is my earnest answer to a not-so-serious question. I am a high D and a high C. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Potentially, my profile would be able to commit a crime and get away with it. The perfect one, Heather. Oh, my gosh. You got the C (sighs) to premeditate and think it all through, and then the D is going to just take the action and do it. That still makes me laugh, especially the part about you, Heather, having the perfect profile to both commit the crime, there's the D, and get away with it, the C. Not sure what that says, Heather. I know, but I think it's kind of fun. (laughs) Okay, here's a clip from part two of the episode, Thriving as a Highly Sensitive Person, where I get really personal. I worry that people think I'm being a princess about things that really are just necessities for me to function comfortably. So for instance, and this happened when we had lunch, if I'm meeting someone for lunch and it's really sunny, I can't sit facing the window or I'll develop a migraine. The nice thing is I'm super comfortable with you and you know these things, so I have no problem saying it. But it's not that way with everybody. Or if I'm having a conversation and there's like a lot of crosstalk or really loud music, I can't focus on what's being said and it makes me really anxious. Even now, after I've learned so much more about this trait and have the language to explain it, I'm still reluctant to make a request that could be seen as being demanding. I often struggle through loud music and attempt conversations instead of just saying, would you mind turning down the music, please? And, you know, I'm recalling a time where I was at someone's house for a get-together, and there was a really strong candle. And even though I knew it would trigger a physical reaction to me, I was reluctant to say anything. And instead, I felt sick from it, and I had a migraine by the end of the visit. I wish I could say this was an isolated incident, but there have been countless times where I've done this. And honestly, I would be more comfortable almost leaving because I don't want to inflict my issues on everyone else. That's really how I feel. But then I think that would be worse because they'd either think I'm rude or then I hurt their feelings or they feel guilty. It's so hard. So you can see I'm still a work in progress. Okay, moving on. 
Our most shared episode of the year was number 20, Building Highly Effective Teams. Not every team has every single role factor filled, and that's okay. Some of them are more important than others. What I always say is if someone does have a secondary high D, it's kind of like a a gentle pioneer. (laughs) That's kind of good enough. But for reference, some of the ones that you definitely do want to have, I can tell you just from personal experience and history, a couple of teams that I worked with where there was a struggle, where there was really kind of something almost structural missing were teams that didn't have an anchor. And I think if you think about that analogy, that makes a lot of sense. Having the anchor is very important. Also having a concluder, (laughs) because it's not good if you start a whole bunch of things and you can't finish them. And also a supporter. The supporter nurturer plays a really key role too. You know, those ones are really super important to have well represented. The next one is from an episode that I was both the most nervous and excited about. I was thrilled to have the opportunity to speak to Dr. Robin Stern about emotional intelligence and her role in co-creating the Mood Meter, the How We Feel app, along with Mark Brackett. And that's what Heather and I start each show off by talking about. I think that's where the whole like incidental emotions and integral emotions come into play. So is this actually something that's happening in the moment or is this a carryover from something that was this morning? And I think that's what's great about the mood meters. It kind of really forces you to do that. And honestly, there's days where I don't know that I would have come to that realization if I hadn't looked at the mood meter and really thought it through, thought about how the day had gone so far. And then, yeah, then I walk into that meeting with so much more self-awareness than I would have without it. I think it's amazing. Thanks. I'm glad it's helpful for you. And and I appreciate your kind words because I think it can be game-changing and is game-changing for, for many people, not just to, to be able to know that you're feeling something, but to be able to see a, a palette of feelings and say, okay, no, this is not quite right. And to learn the nuances of feelings and to not clump it all together. We, we say, you know, are you a clumper? Yes, you know, you're angry and upset, but what actually are maybe the discrete feelings that you're having and what is that was appealing to me when I first met Mark was the science behind that, his dedication to making sure that people were paying attention, not just to the fact that they were feeling, but in fact, what were they feeling? Oh, yeah. And being able to label that and, and enhance your vocabulary. I mean, after all, it's about like being seen and heard. And if you can communicate accurately, then you have a much better chance. Moving on to episode 14 on optimism. And there's a very spontaneous, funny moment. Heather, you made an insightful comment that caught me off guard and cracked me up. Let's listen to that. I'm a type one, which is known as the perfectionist or reformer. And this is all about working to high standards, avoidance of mistakes, a strong focus on details and rules. This doesn't exactly sync up to freewheeling optimism, does it? Okay, but I just have to stop you right there for one second. Okay. The whole rule following thing, I have experienced when we pulled up to the Schitt's Creek Hotel, you <laughs> ran in with reckless abandon to take pictures. And I did not. And the person we were with, I won't name any names, left their car running. Oh, my gosh. So I do think (laughs) think that sometimes 
you have freewheeling optimism that that was just going to be fine or it was worth the risk. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I never even thought of that. But thank you for putting that into perspective. Yeah, clearly when I think it's worth it, I will do it. And so, yeah, for Schitt's Creek and Dan Levy, 100%. No rules needed. (laughs) If the cost of failure is low, use optimism. The thinking being, what do you really have to lose? He uses an example of someone who is making sales calls and feeling discouraged when they're not going well. What's the harm in making one more? That one could be the one that's success. And even if it's not, it's not that big of a deal. But if the cost of failure is really high, then optimism is not ideal. His example for this is a pilot, considering if the weather warrants the plane to be de-iced. If the pilot takes an optimistic view of, oh, it'll probably be fine. (laughs) I can't even say this lightheartedly. How horrifying. Can you imagine? The cost of that mistake is way too high. Taking a more pessimistic view, the weather could get worse. The wings could be weighed down by ice. I think we can agree it would be better in this scenario. Here's hoping all our pilots are pessimists, everyone. (laughs) Seligman uses the term flexible optimism, which is optimism with your eyes open, knowing when it's appropriate or not. Here's a clip from episode 21 on exploring empathy. To work on building empathy, there are several things you can do. Firstly, try to see the world as others see it, which Brene calls perspective taking. Perspective taking requires you to be the learner, not the knower. I'm going to say that again. It requires you to be the learner, not the knower. Heather, you look like you're having a hard (laughs) time not cracking up. Is it resonating? (laughs) A little, yeah. We can't know what someone from a different race, gender, generation is experiencing from our own lens. We need diverse perspectives so we can get a full picture. Asking others to tell us about how they see a situation from their frame of reference to enlighten us. Brene says if we can't be learners, then we can't be empathetic. We'll just let that one sit. That's one of those ones where you really think, wow. And this really ties into the other suggestion of being non judgmental. And what I've added to this is be an emotion scientist, not a judge. I've spoken about this before, and it involves the work of Mark Brackett and Robin Stern, who I interviewed on episode 18, so you can listen to that. Instead of judging the way another person is behaving or reacting, try to be curious. Instead of thinking, wow, Victoria is being really weird and overreacting. How annoying. Try instead, hmm, this behavior seems odd. I wonder what Victoria is experiencing. For her to be acting this way. Do you see the difference? Next up from number 22, where we looked at Gretchen Rubin's work on the four tendencies. So for a fun way to imagine these tendencies in the workplace, I'm going to use one of my favorite shows, Ted Lasso, to illustrate them. Hopefully most of you have watched, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a really good feel-good show and Because it does take place sort of in a workplace, it tends to be very relevant in a lot of my examples. For the upholder, it's Leslie. He's very on point and keeps track of everything. The questioner is Rebecca. While she operates in the corporate culture, she has a strong entrepreneurial spirit and she does not take things at face value. The obliger is, of course, Ted Lasso. He's always trying to figure out how he can help others be their best. And let's not forget, 
his penchant for baking treats and gift-giving qualities. And for the rebel, which will come as no surprise, (laughs) Roy Kent. If you know, you know. I can't repeat his favorite word on air. Let's just say it starts with F. (laughs) And finally, from episode 23, where I delineated leadership styles. Heather, you and I learned some things about each other and almost got into a fight. I'm saying that in jest. Have a listen. Heather? Uh, I don't actually watch Succession, and maybe I scored myself a little high here, but I did give myself a five. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't think this is how I lead. And maybe my high D took over when I was reading it. Mm. Like when I was listening to what you were saying. But I also think I'm a little bit like, let's just all do our job. (laughs) Okay. And that's, that is very, yes, that's very high D. I just don't think the way you would go about it. Listen, here's your homework for next time, Heather. You need to watch a clip. (laughs) Just go watch a clip of Logan Roy speaking (laughs) to. And when I think of the name of it, like coercive, I don't actually think I have the power to coerce Mm. people. And the more I listen to what you're saying, my high D doesn't seem to come through as much as my C in like leadership style. Okay. All right. Interesting. That's just my own anecdotal study I've done while you've been talking, but (laughs) I'd maybe lower it down a little bit. But uh, I don't know. I think that there's a bit of coercive leader in me. Well, we are learning all kinds of interesting things about each other today, aren't we? (laughs) Right? No cheesecake. No cheesecake. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, listeners, I encourage you to write these out and do the rankings too. It's helpful to have a visual representation of your most to your least used style. Then here's a good reflection exercise. So after you do that, reflect on your dominant and underused styles and identify areas for improvement. Okay, Heather, let's do a follow-up. Did you do your homework and watch a clip of Logan Roy from Succession? I did. And? I watched a whole bunch of clips. Well, I appreciate that you think that I'm not like him. (laughs) You're not remotely like him. I guess I didn't really understand how excessive he was. Mm -hmm. So thank you. I think it's safe to say that you were not a coercive (laughs) Logan Roy leader. Thank you. Well, that was fun. And listeners, I hope you have a wonderful holiday and catch us back here in the new year. Happy holidays. This show is a Twisted Spur media production produced by our very own Heather McPherson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.